Hello, and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Fremantle Chief Executive of International Jens Richter about why the current TV sales boom is less about COVID-19 production shutdowns and more about the growth of streaming. And Blue Ant Media Vice President of Programming Craig Juna on what sort of shows he's looking out for at this year's London screenings. With all eyes on the UK for this month's London screening, C21 has put together a series of panel discussions and one-on-one interviews to coincide with the event. Exploring the key trends and issues front of mind for buyers and sellers right now, the place of UK programming on the global stage and some of the shows to watch out for. Jens Richter, Chief Executive of International at Production and Distribution Group Fremantle, spoke to Ed Waller about how the market has shifted since the last time the company had a live event at the London screenings last year. He also argues the current TV sales boom is less about COVID-19 production shutdowns and more about the growth of streaming. It has been the most unprecedented, most unusual year for any of us, right? Whether it's private or professional. And and therefore, it's also been for us as Fremantle the most unprecedented. So it's like, um, I think one is uh, in, an amazing learning curve. You know, we, we all had to act always very quick. The situation was never foreseeable, especially when you think about Q2 last year, you know, when it all kicked off. It was completely unclear how long would it last? Um, what's the impact? What's the impact on production? What's the impact? pipeline? What's the impact on advertising market? That was all totally unclear. And the impact was quite dramatic. And um, and then the impact on, on work processes and can we still produce shows and how can we produce shows? Can we get shows post-produced, which are in production? What are COVID protocols? What is a COVID protocol? You know, um, we had to learn that. And then we had to learn that a COVID protocol in this market in or this country is different than a COVID protocol in that. You know, it's like, because it, it wasn't the same all around the world. It kicked in at different times and to different levels. We all learned a tremendous amount and um, I'm, I'm just amazed by, by the creativity everybody brought to the table to solve problems and get on with it and produce shows and keep entertainment running. And that was, on one hand, sometimes quite frustrating and downbeat and lots of problems to deal with. And then on the other hand, um, it was exciting and learning and creative solutions. And long story short, we proved it worked. So when, when you look at Fremantle last year, we produced in more than 20 countries around the world on the ground. And um, we delivered more than 30,000 hours of programming to our clients in one year. You know, by the end of last year, we've been up and running back in production um, of almost 90% of our shows. So there were delays, but the majority we were back in. And that is pretty tremendous. And that's an amazing achievement by, and it's a team achievement of the team around the world. You know, it's like, and then at the same time, I've been completely fascinated by all the amazing independent producers we are working with. We're working a lot with Freeman producers, but we also work with independent producers out there. And they did the same, you know, they achieved above and beyond. They delivered the shows, sometimes a little bit late, but amazing quality. And and everybody found the solution. So it's by now you can say it's pretty exciting in a way. And now we 
learned to live with it for a year. It's an anniversary, right? London screenings last year was the last physical event we ran as Fremantle. It was the last moment where we had, you know, 350 people in a room in a theater in London. And and then, you know, two weeks later, it all went home office and virtual and that was it, right? And now we have 21 and I think people do see the clear light at the end of the tunnel. There is there's a solution, there's a vaccine and it gets distributed and um, and the market behaves more controlled now, you know, forward looking. That's a, a great summation of, of the last 12 months. It puts it in, into perspective, you know, the last time you had a, a group of TV executives in a room was, was a year ago for the London Screenings 2020. I mean, obviously the story that C21 was exploring all of last year was what was perceived as a boom in acquisitions because the networks tried to shore up their schedules amid this production freeze. Did that sort of boom in sort of um, in acquisition? Well, first of all, was it real? And did it in any way mitigate for whatever was happening in terms of on the production side? Well, it, let's say it like this. We, we've been very lucky last year because the whole slate that we launched at London Screenings uh, 2020 was at that time, it was in post-production. So it, the challenge was get the shows post-produced, you know, they, they, but they were all in a, in a very advanced stage. So that was helpful. And um, when you look overall, there had been some delays there had been some slippages at what we call slippage into this year product most shows did deliver last year and then you know by i would say it was like it was a roller coaster by q2 q3 um a lot of clients were uncertain because advertising crashed uh, or sports which was maybe for some premium pay tv operators a driving force for for driving subscriptions didn't happen so they you know everybody had to jig around and cut their losses as well. So it's like it wasn't that there was a tremendous amount of money on the table for acquisition, but um, especially in Q3 and Q4, when you had great programming that was finished and ready to be delivered, then you certainly hit in a fantastic market, you know, because there were delays, there were holes in the schedule on one hand, and then and, and you had uh, a great program um, to fill that slot, right? So it's kind of a balance. So there was some positive situation in the market for for somebody delivering programming but overall I, th- I would say it was more certainly more of a challenge than opportunity so the talk of a sort of a boom in acquisitions is perhaps overstating it a little bit particularly if a lot the of boom in acquisition isn't so much driven by hey um there was covid and there were production delays and that's why there were holes in the schedules and somebody suddenly you know needed to to hurry and get that hole plug i think the boom in acquisition is more that that's an overarching trend and we're going to see that also this year is um, there's just a lot more competition in the market you know, so we have um, new global streamers that enter the market during this difficult time. And and when you are a, I don't know, an HBO or Disney and, and you launch your plus service, you need additional shows. When you move from linear to a VOD platform offering, you need more choice on your platform to offer to your potential subscribers. So that was certainly boom to the market. We have, over the last 12 months, we have seen a lot of more local platforms, a lot more local platforms. There's no more local linear broadcaster left. Everybody who used to be a local linear broadcaster is now a local linear broadcaster with a strong VOD offering. And that is as well in the public state TV, like the, the, the ARDs, the BBCs, the 
France Televisions of this world, they all have non-linear extensions now, all of them. They all now have budgets for their non-linear extensions only. So if you have been ZDF in the past and you bought mainly for, for linear, now you buy for your Mediathek or, you know, like in Arte. And Arte has a dedicated budget for non-linear. France TV, they have Salto. And the same you saw, we saw on the commercial side, we saw in, in uh, Join, Prozim, TV Now, RTL, um, Britbox. Um, so we have a lot more platforms as well out in the market on commercial TV side. And all these platforms need to offer more choice than these players were able to offer in the linear space. So there's clearly a rise in demand for programming in general. Then it's a question, what kind of programming are they looking for? What does it need to be? Um, I think that's the overarching trend. It's not so much the individual opportunity that might have come up through COVID production delays. Not at all. Okay. So the, the combination of COVID and this transition to streaming, which are obviously interrelated in some ways, created a, a much longer lasting demand for, for programming. Are you finding you're your, your changing your distribution? strategies with this in mind because obviously selling a show to a global streamer is is, is one way of making money yeah. but selling a, a show to all those patchwork of, of local streamers local SVOD services and all these other AVOD services that are springing up that's obviously a very different strategy throw into the mix the fact that maybe some of the buyers that passed over shows two or three years ago are now thinking well maybe we could maybe we can take another look at that you know is there a whole overhaul of the distribution strategy in this content yes for sure so it's like the client base who's your client right whom do you selling to you you, you you mentioned the global versus local right is there a general route you decide no it's not it's like you know you look at the individual idea of the program you look at the individual show and then you decide by looking at that individual show is this more a global approach is this more local approach could it be right in between and then you have to decide but there are truly a lot of shows where you think oh this is much better to go the local approach and you think that from day one while you know you like in development stage and then there are some shows you develop and you think, oops, they should be more on a global platform. And then you have those in between. So we love, as Fremantle, we love to play with the whole market, obviously, right? So we love to cater to a Netflix and Amazon, Disney Plus and Apple and HBO Max and Peacock and everybody on, on, on their platform side, as well as um, we have a very, very strong foothold in the local markets. I mean, when you just think about the fact that we produce in more than 20 countries on the ground locally, whether it's entertainment or drama or factual or lifestyle, we, we we have a very strong local production foothold. And that is predominantly with local clients, with local broadcasters, local platforms. And um, at the same time, we can use that local production base to go to a Netflix or an Amazon and say, hey, um, are you interested in five different versions of the same show? We can do that. So we look at the whole market, whether it's from the production perspective or from the distribution perspective, there's just a lot more opportunity out there now in general. Um, when you look at the local market, there is more appetite now and understanding for, for co-production because when you work from a local perspective and you have global streamers coming in as your competition and a global streamer can come in with big budgets, big ambitious IP because they roll it out in 200 markets around the world and you, you have to compete with that from a local perspective, then um, you're probably in 2021, you're probably more open to, to enter into some co-production cooperation with one or two other partners to build bigger, more beautiful 
beautiful, stronger IP. So I think that's a trend we're going to see more, co-production, sharing as well. Another trend you see in the market that is, when you look at it from the licensing perspective, there is less windowing going on in today's world. So it's it's really when, when you go to a local client, that local client very often likes to control the program across longer periods of time, across a more different variety of rights, whether it's a linear or catch-up and box set, you know, they, they need to have all that, the complete set of rights to feed their linear as well as their non-linear offering. Coming back to what I said earlier, there is no more linear broadcaster out there in a pure form, nobody. So the way we are selling is probably different um, in terms of rights and licensing. Partnering up is different. And overall, there is a clear trend in the market that, and we have that since five, three, four years, is um, you need to have the ambition to produce outstanding quality. So just a nice TV show doesn't sell anymore, you know, because there's so much competition out there and there's so much appetite for big IP and and great programming that um, you have to aim to get to that level of program quality to be able to get your show placed. The other nice, interesting trend over the last two, three years, and that's going to continue, is um, English language productions still have the widest reach. That being said, you know, it's like um, you go to your Netflix top 10 and then, wow, you know, um, you see this French drama popping up under the top 10 and while you are in the UK or somewhere else, you know, it's like, so it's like more of the streamers being able to offering more choice also had an impact on the rest of the market because the audience behavior is changing in a way, you know, it's like there's more curiosity in the market, more curiosity, and then also more willingness. Oh, let's try this show from France or from Germany or from Spain. You know, it's like drama from Latin America. Let's look at that. You know, it's like while a drama from from Latin America in the past, well, mostly stayed in Latin America or in the US Hispanic market. You know, when when you look at what we did with La Jauria, with uh, Fabula, with the Lorraine brothers, you know, we entered into an agreement with the Lorraine brothers, I think it was three years ago. And then, you you know, it's like two and a half years ago. And then we thought, okay, let's let's try to create that drama from Latin America that potentially can travel way outside of the Latin core market. And then, and then the idea was born for La Jauria. You know, it's like, and now fast forward, it producing the second season. The first season went out on Amazon in Latin America, HBO in North America, Arte in Europe. Uh, it sold all across Europe. And, um, and we are in the second season, developing the third season. So it's like, um, that is possible in today Today's world would have been much harder five years ago. Talking about the switch to streaming, that uh, obviously last year wasn't just about COVID. There was this massive switch yeah. to streaming, and and the studios moving their launching their direct to consumer strategies. Yeah. Um, we've seen a trend where a lot of the studio product is being taken out of the distribution ecosystem and fed into those platforms. Now, what does that mean for? a company like yours in terms of opportunity because there must be a lot of clients out there that used to get a lot of Hollywood product and now are they being told they can't get that and are they coming to you guys to find alternatives? Well, I mean, first of all, that pipeline of Hollywood studio product, that's not cut off. You know, it's like they, a CBS uh, Paramount still sells. It's more a question of the amount of that product hitting the market and maybe the windowing of that, you know, it's like, and, and, and then over time, you know, will they maybe withhold more of their own programming to feed it on their own platforms. It will be a gradual process and it will be, again, what we touched earlier, it will be driven by the local market. You know, they don't launch, not everybody is launching their platform all around the world at the same time. HBO still has 
the deals in place with Sky in the UK and, and Germany and Italy? And what does that mean for an HBO Max, as an example? So it goes a little bit by the market, but all in, there's clearly an opportunity. My more US product will be held on the US studio platform of that studio that produces. And um, the local client in some markets will have uh, more trouble to access that kind of product. And then it's a question, you know, who else could step in? Would Fremantle become a network drama production of volume? Probably not, right? So it's then it's a question of, uh, because that's a different business model. Then it's a question of what kind of drama, for instance, could we provide from our side that could go into those slots? You know, we had a tremendous success um, last year with Salisbury Poisonings. It was like true story, um, Russian ex-spy double agent. Um, Russians came in two and a half years ago and tried to, to kill him with Novichok. You know, it's like, um, that's an extreme story, true story. We sold that literally all around the world. And that went in, I would say, 80% of the markets. It went into those, call it linear slots. You know, it's like... And then with a non-linear extension, obviously. Uh, but that is a show that can, uh, it's perfectly built for a uh, free TV launch as well. So people like Fremantle or ITV or others, you know, like we are, we are all thinking about what kind of shows could we produce that could go into those slots as well. Obviously, with the, a lot of the bigger studios launching their direct-to-consumer strategies and the opportunities provided by the growth of things like smart TVs around the world, does that give a company like yours an opportunity to have have a, some kind of B2C strategy as well? We do have a B2C strategy and we, we do a lot more, you know, it's like, and we do it all across the board. You know, Fremantle, we, we very often talk about drama and factual, but clearly we are one of the biggest independent entertainment producers around the world. So it's like with shows like Got Talent or American Idol um, or World Got Talent, which is now launching the US, you know, it's like those entertainment formats are prone for non-linear extensions. So when you look at our YouTube YouTube channels around those talent shows. We're driving each month, we activate uh, way beyond a billion views, you know, like, so we drive huge audiences in the digital world on the back of our entertainment shows, as an example. Then um, when you look at the tape business, drama, factual, lifestyle, you know, it's like uh, people like us, uh, we now have different opportunities in the market. So there is an Amazon Prime Video Direct. So you can self-publish your shows on Amazon and try out, you know, it's like an and you can place it on Amazon and um, you can figure out, does it work? It's a revenue share basis and um, it's it's a good testing round as well. Plus, it's not only a good outlet, it's also you see the money coming in clearly on the way up. Somebody like Pluto, you know, it's like Pluto TV, uh, perfect example as well. And we place shows with Pluto. Um, so there are more outlets where we can go straight to consumer on a revenue share based model or on a consumption based model. In the US, we did the deal with Samsung. So on Samsung smart hubs of Samsung TV sets in the US, um, there's a Baywatch channel. So we can create dedicated channels either around a single property or we can do that around a certain genre, cooking, and then place it on smart TVs, put it out there on play platforms like Amazon or Pluto. So we have a lot more opportunity now to go direct to consumer. And um, we're doing that, of course. Before we get into the new shows you're going to be unveiling at the London screenings, I just wanted to pick up on something you mentioned about the sort of the, the way the windowing is changing because 
we've, we're picking up on this word that seems to be entering the industry, co-exclusivity, people doing co-exclusive deals. Is that changing the way that you uh, you license programming now? I think you see those two extremes, right? I'm, I'm, the, I'm the platform and I want to own and control this piece of IP absolutely exclusive in my territory for a long period of time, all rights and whatsoever. And then, um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, or the, on the other end of the spectrum, you have clients who are totally happy with licensing non-exclusive and you can have the show same show on on several platforms at the same moment at the, at the same time um, and sometimes that is a phenomenon that goes by the show and sometimes it is also a local phenomenon so we have that in in russia for instance um, that several platforms not unlimited but a certain defined clear limited amount of platforms share the same drama at the same time. You can set up the same deal, a kind of deal in, in, in China. We had that a couple of times now where three or four platforms share in the same show, have it on their platforms at the same time, non-exclusive. It makes perfect, you know, it's, it's just different models in a way. You know, it's like, and, and then for us, it is like, um, how can we generate the, the widest reach for our show? How can we monetize in the best way? How can we make clients happy? So it's it really goes by the market by the show we see a lot more the multitude of of licensing and business models is not limited anymore right it's like uh, it's fun well, uh, let's have a little look at some of the highlights of the slate that you're going to be showing buyers virtually during the uh, the london screen so we want to surprise people of course you know it's like um when you look at this year's slate uh, lots of drama clearly and uh, we kicked off the year with with a new season of american gods that's fantastic then um, and that's for for stars in the US and then Amazon around the world. Totally thrilled about the very, very recent launch of We Children of Barnav Zoo or Zoo Station. You know, it's like um, we work on that with Constantine Film. They're the producers. Um, they produced it for Amazon Germany. And we are now conducting um, deals around the world. And um, I've been on a phone call earlier, um, an hour ago, with a colleague of mine who takes care of Turkey. Children of Barnav Zoo just launched last weekend in Turkey, day and date. And the clients call them back and say it was a smashing hit. You know, it's like um, interesting, you know. So in, in, in that show, for instance, uh, we, are, we are selling at the moment into South Korea. So it's like German language drama built on a big piece of IP. So uh, a lot of clients, especially continental Europe, but also in the US uh, or Latin America, are aware of the book from the 80s and the film from the 80s. It's a true story. And um, now the remake um, is hitting the screens and, and we get an amazing feedback. So we're closing deals at the moment from all across Europe to Latin America to Asia with a German language drama. It comes back to the point I made earlier. It's not so much about where's the show coming from. It's about what's the quality of the show and, and can I reach audiences? So Children of Man of Zoo is an exciting one. We are going to launching Anna, written and directed um, by Nicolo Amagnati. And Nicolo wrote a book, a novel, and he wrote the novel and the script um, more than two years ago. And it is a story of a post-apocalyptic world in which all the adults had died because of a virus. So you can only imagine when COVID hit, we were like, oh my God, how, how, how does that sit next to the real world? What's going on in the real world out there? Now it is um, it's a fantastic world. You know, it's a little bit like Hunger Games, like The Walking Dead. It's a world of only kids and they build their own very strict hierarchical organization and uh, no more parents, no more guidance, right? So it's like 
it's not a COVID show. It's it's a post-adult show, you know, a world without adults. And that looks amazing. And that will hit the market. We are launching a show from Australia with intent. That is glossy, upper-class world. And it's on love, romance. But then the big thing happened. And, and I don't say more about that. So you have to watch that show. We're going to launch Raker. Super happy and super proud of that. Raker is currently in post-production. Um, we're doing that together with Mnet from South Africa. It's our first co-production with them. And um, that is a story of a serial killer out there and has amazing cast in it. And then we're launching a lot. We bring back to market a lot of returning drama. The likes of La Jauria is an example. And a lot more Scandi drama. Talking about Scandi drama, um, we are tremendously proud of the most recent launch of the investigation from Misofilm. Um, it launched on HBO in the US, on the BBC2 in the UK, besides of all the fantastic channels in Scandinavia and platforms in Scandinavia. Um, and that's also an example of a show where, you know, with a Danish drama, Danish language based on a true event, the so-called submarine murder that happened two and a half years ago. Thanks to Tobias Lindholm, who wrote and directed and produced, we created a fantastic show and we sold it all around the world. So it's like, those are the moments that, that make the most fun, obviously. So lots of new drama. And then there is a factual slate. So within our presentation of the London screenings, what we do is we focus on high-end drama and high-end factual. And high-end factual, um, we're in post-production of a movie movie called Arctic Drift, The Year in the Ice. And that's the biggest polar expedition ever undertaken and the most expensive polar expedition ever undertaken. So it's a it's a big icebreaker that went from the Russian side into the North Cap, frozen in, and then with the ice drifted for one year, drifted by the North Pole and then came out above um, Iceland. And what was the purpose? The purpose was on that boat, we had 400 scientists from uh, more than 25 countries around the world. World, and they wanted to understand what's going up there, the polar cap, and it's a climate change show. It's a mix between climate change and adventure, because one year in the ice is truly an adventure. And um, and the amazing is we have lots of Russian science. We have Russians, Chinese, all Europeans. US Canadian scientists on board. Another show we are launching is Day Zero, Climate Change. And we are doing that together with Tencent from China. And that is the very simple story that we are running out of water all around the world. Simple but brutal. And um, that's basically a call to action. Um, and climate change is for us, um, you know, when you look at, at the factual market and when you think about where we are right now in terms of the sensibilities and, and what, what keeps people going, you know, I think Trump is out. Biden is in, climate change is clearly back on the agenda. And um, while the last year we've been distracted a lot by politics and by COVID, I think um, clearly climate change has to be the number one topic for all of us. And that clearly brings a message to us, you know, it's like um, we have to pay close attention when it's about actual shows. There's a difference between London screenings maybe last year to this year. And um, what we do this London screenings is um, we focus on these high-end drama and on these high and factual, but in connection with the London screenings, we are also launching the whole lineup for the year. So anybody who comes to our show and, 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 and watches our virtual London screenings event, after watching the show, um, we're going to send them information to all the shows that they've seen during our one hour London screenings event. But we also send them in addition on top the book with a whole slate, all the other shows for this year. So what had been MIP TV last year, basically now is London screening. So we're launching just not, not much more than just uh, a dozen shows.
goals, much more, many more. So the whole slate goes out. Um, and that's exciting. It's a good moment of the year. You know, as people start thinking out new plan um, and COVID is on the way out. So it's, it's a good moment. It's a very good moment. Jens Richter from Fremantle, speaking with Ed Waller. Canadian channel operator, producer and distributor Blue Ant Media is launching BBC First in Canada next week under a deal with BBC Studios, the commercial arm of the UK public service broadcaster. Blue Ant Vice President of Programming Craig Junner spoke to Carolina Kaminska about the launch, why he thinks it will sit well with Canadian audiences and what sorts of shows the company is looking out for at this year's London screenings. So Craig, what sort of demand is there currently for UK content in Canada and how has it or is it changing? Um, well, I'd say Canadians have always loved British television and the premium programming that's produced in the UK. Uh, we recognise the demand for this content amongst our Canadian audiences. And that's why we recently extended our partnership with BBC Studios to launch BBC First in Canada. Uh, the launch BBC First marks our second joint venture with BBC Studios following the successful launch of BBC Earth in 2017. Our two BBC channels cover a huge breadth of UK content to match our Canadian audience's likes and interests. BBC First features premium factual, scripted entertainment, and BBC Earth has world-class factual content. In terms of demand, I'd certainly say in recent years, we've seen a real dramatic increase in the competition for UK content. Most of our comp competitors are seeking out great programs and concepts from all corners of the world. Given the track record for the UK producing top quality content that resonates with Canadians, it's really the perfect recipe to make premium UK content a hot commodity for Canadians. And can you talk a little bit more about um, your deal with BBC Studios for BBC First in Canada? Um, tell us a little bit more about that deal, why it was attractive to you and what it means for the company. Well, first, first of all, the, the strength of the brand. The BBC is a globally recognised premium brand that audiences know and trust. So it's easy for, for our audiences to form a connection. That's why adding BBC First to our portfolio just made logical sense. BBC First offers a strong mix of original, scripted and factual entertainment programming that's really great to complement our existing cable television portfolio. Second to that, the BBC just has a long history of producing global sensations. Uh, our titles at launch for BBC First include things like Top Gear, The Office, Death in Paradise, The Graham Norton Show. All of this is just stellar content that um, that lines up with what we're intending to do. I'd say the, the launch of FIRST really increases our already broad reach in the Canadian television market and underpins our commitment to invest in high quality, distinctive programs we know our audiences enjoy. Uh, as part of our partnership with BBC Studios, we get a unique first look in Canada of BBC's new slate of dramas, comedy, factual entertainment programs coming down the pipe. This will allow us to identify the best premium content to bring BBC FIRST to our niche audience to enjoy. And can you talk about some UK shows or formats from the UK that you have had success with in the recent past? A absolutely. I think there's so many great programs that I can point to running across our, our eight services. I'd really love to give a special nod to titles like The Great Pottery Throwdown, Great British Sewing Bee, and Repair Shop. All of those titles really resonate with our Canadian audiences. Um, I'd say also, I think it's important to give Graham Norton a nice shout out. Prior to rebranding our Hi-Fi channel to BBC First, Graham Norton was actually the number one series on Hi-Fi. So when we relaunch BBC First, or we launch BBC First on March 16th, uh, it'll be complemented with the latest and greatest season of Graham Norton. I'd also point to, um, we haven't done a ton of formats locally, but in, in regards to format, one success we found is with the UK series Landscape Artist 
Artist of the Year. Uh, we created our own version of it called Landscape Artist of the Year Canada, which was a fan favorite for our channel, Makeful. And what is your stance on co-producing with companies in the UK? Uh, well, we love it. Um, <laughs> Blue Ant Media is, uh, is proud to be a business with global reach. And as such, we're keen to work with production companies in the UK. Right now, our very own Saloon Media, which is owned by Blue Ant Studios, uh, recently teamed up with BrightSpark, part of the Argonon Group, to co-produce a new documentary series called The World's Most Scenic River Journeys, narrated by Bill Nye. This is a series for Channel 5 in the UK and will run on our Smithsonian channel here in Canada later this year. Actually, it was really the perfect partnership too, because BrightSpark was able to film a whole bunch of European rivers and actually then Saloon took over the North American leg of things. It's especially helpful during the travel restrictions of COVID-19. Um, and, and I believe that you've been attending the virtual London screenings this year. So what sort of programs are you looking for? Um, in broadest terms, we're looking for unscripted, lifestyle, factual, and, and really unique formats. I'd say to, to focus that a little bit, certainly paranormal content, crime, science, history, nature, competitive reality, and, and real estate are the genres we're, we're most interested in. Uh, many of our brands cater to niche audiences. Uh, so it's really important for us to have signature content that's unique for each platform. We think of each brand individually to curate those audiences. That's why we're always keeping our eyes out for those flashy and unique formats, especially in the competitive vein. I'd say most recently, we were able to pick up a series called Pooch Perfect from Beyond. Uh, and that really is just really the perfect example of one of those niche competitive reality shows that was just bang on for our audiences. And having something hosted by Rebel Wilson uh, was, a, was a great bonus. Is there anything that you're definitely not looking for? Is there something that, that doesn't really work for you? Yeah, I'd say with our eight linear services, accompanying SVODs and two newly launched fast channels, we do cast a pretty wide net of genres. But I'd, I'd say that kids, sports and music are the three areas we simply don't play in. Um, we're not all things to all people. So most of our channels are targeted niche services. And we generally live in the factual and lifestyle space. We were talking earlier about the fact that it's been almost a year now since we were first <laughs> Speaking about the coronavirus pandemic, when that first hit, how is it affecting things at Blue Ant at the moment? I, I can say we've been lucky in a lot of ways, but Blue Ant is doing well across our entire businesses. As an international producer, distributor, and a broadcaster, we aren't slowing down. Uh, on the contrary, we're greenlighting things left, right, and center. Our distribution business is thriving, and we're on set right now producing new shows, which means a lot of new content is coming down the pipe. From a Canadian perspective, we're fortunate through the pandemic pandemic, that, that our content and our schedules have really been virtually unaffected in terms of delays or missing content, uh, unlike news or live sports or event-based programming. Okay. Have there been any shows at all that have been delayed where you've had to find a backup solution to, to fill the gap in your schedule? I'd say, thankfully, no. Uh, we aren't facing any delays or issues right now. From an acquisition point of view, our pipeline has been steady. And in terms of original programming, we've been greenlighting. Uh, we've got seven new original docuseries and specials set to air later this year and into 2020 across our Canadian channels. And many of these will actually be distributed by our Blue Ant International business. It, it's interesting. It's been almost a year since we started this. And I think when we spoke last spring, we talked a lot about Hotel Paranormal season one that was narrated by Dan Aykroyd. And that certainly was the biggest thing we had to juggle through the pandemic in terms of 
How do we get Dan into a studio to narrate and, and keep that going? And since that point, really Saloon Media, who we've partnered with on a lot of programming, obviously owned by Blue Ant as well, has, has really been able to effectively adapt and bring these strict COVID-19 health and safety measures into play. It really is, is turnkey at this point. They've got it down and it, it's been nonstop. In fact, we're excited to have Hotel Paranormal Season 2 with Dan Aykroyd returning this summer, um, uh, later this year for t and That's definitely good news about your schedule. Since the pandemic hit, have you seen any differences in, in the type of content that your viewers are demanding? Is there anything that they're really interested in watching at the moment? that maybe they weren't as interested in watching before? I think we are probably in a, in a unique space in the marketplace. I think as viewers became really content hungry and started to search out new new places to watch shows and, and new things, I think a lot of viewers actually found us during the pandemic that maybe weren't as aware of some of our channels and brands. And so we've experienced just a boom right across the board. People are consuming more of our shows on, on every one of our channels, SVOD services, everything that we're doing is virtually been up this year. I'd say really for us, it's just continue to feed the beast. It's, it's business as usual. Keep the channels uh, getting a healthy, robust pipeline of content. And, and so what do you see as being the biggest challenges and opportunities over the next year? Um, certainly for challenges and opportunities, I think um, the rebrand of Hi-Fi to BBC First uh, later this month really is one of the biggest opportunities for us. Increases our, our, already, reach, our already broad reach in the, um, the Canadian television market. I think one of our biggest challenges challenges uh, remains to get our consumer shows business and live events back up and running when it's declared safe to do so. Uh, having said that, uh, our consumer shows have actually made a pivot, successful pivot to virtual events this year, which have been doing very well and opened up some opportunity for Canadians nationwide to attend. But we're looking forward to get, getting back to the, the brick and mortar consumer shows as soon as it's safe to do so. And what are your, aside from that, what are your key aims and objectives for the next year at Blue Ant? Um, a lot of it is just focusing on staying the course and keeping our channels growing. Uh, we're looking at new distribution and growth opportunities, growing our existing linear services, as well as uh, we're quite keen to continue playing in the AVOD and fast channel space. Uh, in fact, we uh, we launched our first fast channel called Haunt TV back in December in the uh, Roku channel environment and just recently launched our newest service called Crime Time uh, last week. Craig Jenner from Blue Ant Media speaking with Karolina Kaminska. That's all for this episode, but there'll be more about the London screenings in the podcast tomorrow. We also have a dedicated microsite focused on the event, so look out for that. And in the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. 